it'll be awful. And then you do it again. And then the next day you do it again. And you do it again and you do it again and you do it again and you try and insert some joy in the process. And, and, and then hopefully at some point in all of that, you'll have something mediocre. And then hopefully a little while later, you'll have something uh, pretty good. But, but there's, this, there's this step by step by step. It's actually the discipline of creativity of I'm going to get my butt in the chair and, and with as much levity and joy as possible, I'm going to stare into my own mediocrity every day after day after day until it becomes not mediocrity anymore. And that's that's been a huge learning for me and 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 I I revel in it now. You know, there's some days that I sit down and I write one or two sentences and I look back the next day and I, I say, well, those were crappy sentences, but it was a great, that that means it was a great day of writing because you just got it down. That was Steph Jagger, and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 185. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. I can't wait to introduce you to today's guest and to dig into our beautiful conversation about creativity, developing your intuition, and embracing the experience of being in your body, among other great topics. But before we get to that, I'd really like to tell you a little bit about what's been going on in our fun Patreon community. I'd also love to invite you to join us this month if you've been loving the podcast and if it's been making you laugh and think and feel less alone. So as you probably know by now, Real Talk Radio is a 100% listener-supported show. What does that mean? That means we don't have any ads, means we don't have any sponsors, and that these conversations are financially supported by awesome, regular people just like you who give $1 or more per episode to help fund the costs of producing the show and making sure that everyone involved in making it, that's me, my sound engineer, Adam Day, and every single one of my guests, make sure that we all get paid. Your funding is how the show gets made. Like I said, it literally could not happen without your support. And as a big thank you, I'm so thrilled to be able to offer lots of community-only bonuses. Things like the new 10-minute Q&A mini-sodes that I've been doing, my monthly Real Life in Real Time Reflections series with Julia Hanlon of the Running on Ohm podcast. That's a big favorite. My monthly link love lists where I share all the best things that I'm reading, watching, buying, listening to all over the internet our live small group Google Hangouts, a transparent monthly business and money report that details the business side of Real Talk Radio, and more. If you're interested in bonuses like that, and if you're in a place to be able to contribute $1 or more per episode, which adds up to just $3 per month, I would so, so appreciate it. Right now, I've set a funding goal that when it's met will allow me to get transcripts made for future episodes, a costly but important step in making the show more inclusive for all, and I would love your support to make that happen. So to learn more about the Patreon community, the four different funding levels you can choose from, and to join the 440 plus people who are already proudly supporting this work, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. One more time, that's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. And I can't wait to welcome you to the Real Talk Radio family. And now, let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you get to meet Steph Jagger. Steph is an author, speaker, coach, and world record smasher who happens to dabble in alchemy and energy. Her first book, Unbound, A Story of Snow and Self-Discovery, was released by HarperCollins in 2017 and details her awe-inspiring journey around the world on skis. 
Since that journey, Steph's work has focused on our ability to unlock and access truths, physical and mental truths, deep wordless truths, ancestral truth, as well as archetypal and mythological truth. She's the chief intuitive officer behind coaching and development programs like The Great Big Journey, as well as a sought-after speaker and facilitator. Her second memoir, A Story of Mothers and Daughters, is set to be released by Flatiron Books in 2021. In this episode, Steph shares honest stories from the beautiful trenches of her real creative life. We talk about her book writing process, how she's learned to feel into her intuition, and the joys of being present and occupying your full body. She also talks about the hero's journey versus the heroine's journey, and shares how she's come to embody the divine feminine more and more over the past few years. Steph is someone whose way of being in the world is one that I personally greatly admire, and this was such a lovely and comforting and truth-filled conversation. I hope that you enjoy it just as much. All of that starts in just a moment, and as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at realtalkradiopodcast.com. Awesome. We are rolling. Steph, welcome to the show. I'm so freaking happy to be here. I know. I've had this on my calendar. What, for a while we had this booked (laughs) and I keep looking forward to it. And this week I was like, first of all, how is it already this time in November? And that means I get to talk to you. (laughs) I felt exactly the same way because we booked it a little little in advance and and then it rolled up real quick. But yeah, I'm really, really thrilled to be here and, and much gratitude for having me on. So when I took your workshop, that one of the workshops that you taught at the Adventurous Women's Retreat where yeah. we met in September, you proposed a really interesting kind of uh, go around the room introductory question um, that you posed to the group. Can you <laughs> yeah. share, obviously, <laughs> spoiler alert, I'm going to ask you to answer your own question, but <laughs> will you share sure. what that question is? Sure. Yeah. You know, so many times, um, introductions at events or facilitated workshops or networking or whatever, you know, you say your name and you say either where you're from or what you do as in your role or your profession. And, and that tells us some information, but I think there's much more information to, to a person than that. So I, I always, when I start groups, I, I have them answer three questions. First of all, tell, tell us your name, I, I ask a second question, which is, uh, tell us who you be and, and who you be could be answered. You know, I like to answer things archetypally, mythologically, but you can answer it. You could answer it by saying, I'd be happy, you know? And then the third question is I ask people what they need. What do you need? And, and I don't mean like, uh, I need a glass of water or I need someone to pass me the salt. I, I mean a big need, like I need solace. Uh, I need time for grief. Uh, I need space in my life for joy, um, et cetera. So that's, that's, uh, what's your name? Who do you be? And what do you need? That's how I usually open things up. I love it. Well, we covered the name. So who do you be and what do you need? Yeah. Right. Right. Touche, my friend. <laughs> so, um, who do I be? My gosh, you know, that's a, that's a, uh, a moving landscape. Um, but, but I think to the core of me, um, I'm a storyteller. I have a, I have a dash of court jester. Like I, I, I like the, you know, I think about the court jester and the mask that they wear, you know, one part of it's the humor and one part of it's like ex- exposing of emotions. I, I think I, I dabble as a bit of a, uh, poet mystic, uh, leader into the liminal spaces, the kind of cruxes and in-betweens of our life. And, and in a, in a more kind of of this world quality, I'm, I'm an author and a, and a guide and mentor and coach, and that's who I be. 
And a lot of times I'd be hungry. <laughs> and that's a, that's a common theme for me. Um, and what do I need? Uh, you know, it's interesting. I've been, I've been sitting with this just this morning going back and forth with my husband. Um, I, I need some time. So, uh, I was just looking at my calendar and trying to find a stretch of two or three weeks where I can, uh, sink a little deeper into myself, sink a little deeper into some of the projects that I'm working on writing wise. And that's, uh, that involves some time and some really deep, deep spaciousness. So those are two things I need right now for sure. Mm. That who do you be question is so interesting to me because I think it can easily change, right, over time. Yeah, and I don't yeah. know if this is kind of too like retrospective of a question if you can put yourself back in this space, but say like 10 years ago, how do you think you would have answered <laughs> that question? Yeah. Yeah, I would have answered it completely differently 10 years ago. I would have said, uh, I, I'm a ball buster. I would have said, I'm, I probably would have said I'm still a court jester. Um, I don't think I would have said storyteller. I think I would have said I'm, I'm an athlete. I'm a warrior. I'm, a, um, I'm a go-getter. I'm an achiever. Um, you know, I, I'm all of the ingredients that are prepped to go on a hero's journey. And I think 10 years later, I'm all of the ingredients that are prepped to go on a heroine's journey. And that's how I define the difference between the two. Interesting. Okay, much follow yeah. up. Much follow up questions. <laughs> Hero's journey versus heroine's journey. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I think it's just the dancing with the masculine or the dancing with the feminine. I think. I, I think. I think. No matter what your gender identification is, uh, we all have some masculine and some feminine inside of us. And I think as a young woman. I, I really had, had, uh, so much of that initial journey that I took in my, in my twenties and, and in my early thirties that led to the first book that I wrote Unbound was, was about me really discovering that for much of my teen and adult life that far, thus far, I had spent, uh, chasing the masculine ideal and trying to fit myself into a, a version of success that, that, fit into the patriarchal model of the masculine, including taking myself on a hero's journey. And, and, and which is, which, which Nicole is for me is, is a fabulous thing. I, I love the concepts that, that surround the hero's journey and Joseph Campbell's work. And, and I, I have li lived my life by those and written by those for many, many years. But I, I think there's a, I'm coming now 10 years later to note that there's a, what I would call a, I don't want to say a flaw, it's just a difference in the stories of the hero versus the heroine, which is the hero is this pinpointing of this individual savior, like the hero, and that they're going to go and do something fantastical in the world and bring it back and become the hero and, and teach people about it. And it's just a really very masculine way of, of going about the world. There's nothing wrong with that. And oddly enough, the thing that I learned about on that very masculine journey was the fact that I had uh, really lost touch almost entirely with the feminine. And so that started to take me on another journey that, that began, let's say, maybe eight years ago after the ski trip that I took and wrote about into the heroine's journey, which in my mind is much more about um, not necessarily running towards something, but creating space for things and working in, in a deep, deep co-collaboration or collective as opposed to uh, individualistic. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I I still feel much more that it's e like, I don't know if easier is the right word, but easier for me to identify with sort of the like harder masculine things or like what that journey looks like. And maybe it's yeah. because there's so many examples, right? Of oh, that yeah. journey yeah. that it's like, oh, okay, this is kind of how you follow that or what that looks like um, oh, yeah. versus more of the kind of like divine feminine side. I still feel like that's something where there's a lot of explorative potential for me. 
Oh, for sure. I mean, every, every, uh, movie book, uh, you know, major, major successful kind of story in the world in, in, in the modern day is based on the, on the hero's journey. Um, and, and it's a really inspiring. And, and this isn't to discourage people from going on those journeys. It was immensely important for me to do that. And then as I kind of dive deeper and deeper into my own kind of feminine side, it's becoming immensely important for me to go on this other journey. But, um, we don't have very many examples. I, I'm not, I'm going to rephrase that. We do actually have a lot of examples of the, of the heroine's journey of the, of the divinely feminine journey. And, and they're, you just have to dig for them. They're not in pop culture. You know, they're not in the kind of modern movies, et cetera, but they are in a lot of, uh, indigenous myth in, in across many, many cultures. Um, and, and that's a place that you can look for. I mean, a lot of people have, you know, read women who run with the wolves. There's a lot of female myth in there that involve what I would consider the heroine's journey. Yeah. I don't know how I still haven't read that book. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. It's, well, it's, you know, it, it's also big, you know, it's a big, it's like a, it feels like a. Uh, I remember when I first read it, it felt like an assignment, like, okay, I'm going to really do it. I'm going to really like get into it. And it took some time and it, you know, but that's, that's certainly a, you know, starting point. Um, but, but if you want to find stories like that and examples of that, I agree with you, it's, it's harder and, uh, they are there, but you've got to do some research. You got to do some digging. Uh, you, you've got to start asking, you know, asking for them to, to begin showing up. Mm-hmm. So yeah. even in, it's funny, in those last couple of minutes, you mentioned a bunch of different either things or projects or roles of yours that I know that we're going to dig into, right? Talking about um, your first book, Unbound, and then the story of what that was about and some other things. But yeah. before we dig into that, I'd actually love to start by asking about something that you and your husband do each February, where you leave your house in the hands of Seventh no. Wave Magazine. Will you tell me the story behind that? Yeah. Oh, I just, I just really love what they do as an organization. So yeah, so I, um, you know, a handful of years ago, this is, this is what the, this is the value of, of Instagram, right? I posted something on Instagram and a, and a, and a dude in, in Brooklyn, uh, saw it. It was a bit of handwritten kind of post-it notes on a wall and, and he reached out and was like, this is cool. Can I repost this? And, and, and we struck up a friendship and his name's Brett Rawson and, um, his, his soon to be wife, Joyce Chen and a, and a handful of other partners. Um, they were in Brooklyn, they were all doing their MFAs and they came out as, as writers and were really kind of, I guess what they saw when they went through their MFA programs was that there, there wasn't a lot of space for, for a, a variety of other voices in writing. And so they, they started a nonprofit social justice magazine, online magazine called Seventh Wave. And, and they, they did writer's residencies and, and published work. Um, and all the residencies that they did in the past were, were out in New York State. And so Brett, uh, in a stroke of good luck, when I moved to Washington, he also moved to Washington about a month later, uh, him and Joyce. And, and they asked me, you know, hey, keep your eyes out for a place that we could do a West Coast uh, writer's retreat where we would gather you know, people that whose voices are not typically, they're just not, not given a microphone, you know, in modern society. Uh, and we want to highlight them and keep your eye out for space. And I said, Brett, like, why don't you just use my house? (laughs) And he he said, Oh, like, okay. You know, okay. And, and so it was, uh, just a seamless kind of partnership and it made a lot of sense. So they came for their first residency last year um, there was, uh, I think five writers, one other, uh, kind of poet and, 
a graphic designer. There was, you know, just basically a whole team here. And I was the, I stayed at the house at that one. It was the kind of wood, wood putter in the fire person and, uh, for them. And this year we'll, we'll give them the whole space. We'll vacate and, and my husband and I'll take off, but it's, it's, it's just really meaningful. You know, I, I think that the post that you're referring to is, you know, I am a storyteller and a writer of privilege. Um, I'm, I'm a, a, a white, uh, you know, educated in quotes, um, uh, cisgendered straight woman. And, and my voice and what I write about in the way that I choose to spend my creative time is really never questioned um, by society. And there's a lot of my fellow creatives that don't have that same luxury. They're, they're deeply questioned in that. Um, and, and I, I just think it's a valuable thing to support, um, and want to provide a, a safe space for them to do that. Yeah. Where, if you don't mind me asking, are you going in February then? I don't, we'll probably go up to British Columbia. My family's from British Columbia. And so we'll probably head up there and, and visit some, visit some family, maybe do some writing myself up there. But, you know, we don't we don't have that planned out yet, but something will some some plan will appear for us, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, especially if this is such an easy thing for you to say yes to and it's such like a sole yes of here, I want to give up my space for this. Whatever comes after that will materialize. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we've done that before. You know, my husband have taken off for, you know, a month here or a month there or spend a different winter in this place or that place. And it's it's uh, it's, you know, people have such like, you know, van life. People live all these different ways now. So, you know, we, we, we have a multitude of of ways that we like to do that as well. Yeah. I mean, one of the things, um, and thank you for sharing that, the sort of story behind how you guys wound up doing that. I think a lot about the different ways that it can look to give something up, right? Whether that's space or power or any of those things. And like what you just shared to me is such a tangible example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's, and it's, to be honest, you know, seems like a pretty uh, common sense and easy one. I, you know, I, I, it's funny actually, since I posted that, I've had a handful of friends reach out and say, Oh my gosh, I should do that with my house in, in Santa Fe, or I should do that, you know, a variety of people. So, um, you know, I hope that kind of thing happens. Yeah, me too. So obviously you are a writer yourself and that, that's actually how I first found you. Cause I, I read yeah. your book, I think about like a year before we wound up meeting, um, at, uh-huh. at that retreat, which for me was neat. It's always neat when you read someone's work and then you get to actually like meet them and put, you know, a face <laughs> and, and a voice to the, <laughs> to the story. But for, for folks who aren't familiar with that book, will you share a bit about the journey that it covers? Yeah, absolutely. So, so the first book, uh, is called Unbound, a story of snow and self-discovery. And that was published by Harper Wave in, in January, 2017. Uh, I can't believe it almost three years ago now. Uh, and that's a, it, it was, a, it's a memoir of a, a galloping tale that I took in my late twenties and early thirties where I, you know, had a good life in Vancouver, British Columbia, where I grew up, but not great. And I, I believe in great. So I, and quit everything and sold everything and, and decided to immerse myself in, in my own joy. This is a very hero's journey, Joseph Campbellian thing, you know, follow your bliss and your bliss will, uh, burn out the pain. There wasn't really much pain in my life to burn out, but I, I thought let's, let's, let's do this and see what, what happens. So I, uh, I did my three favorite things. I traveled and I skied and, and I, I wrote and I wasn't planning on writing a book. I was just, just, you know, writing and, and basically a newsletter for my mom and three friends back home in Vancouver. 
and I, and I took a year and I followed winter and skied as I went. And, and much to my surprise, I, I ended up breaking a, a world record for, for skiing the most vertical feet in a year. I skied in some unbelievable places all around the world. And I met the person I'm now married to. So there's a love story in the book. So it's, it's a real, um, kind of cinematic, a uh, rip roaring fun tale, uh, that has, I, I think levity and also a handful of moments of profundity kind of sprinkled in there. Um, and gosh, it was fun to do, and it was it was really fun to write. Um, so so that's that's the first book, and and I did the journey in my as I said, kind of late twenties, early thirties. I turned thirty on the trip, and then I wrote the book. Uh, I don't know, maybe six years, six seven years after that. Oh, okay, I, I didn't realize that there was such a big gap between finishing it and the book. Yeah, finishing it, and then the book. The book was yeah published maybe about six and a half years after I finished the trip, something like that. So I've heard you describe that trip as, quote, a rush, a burial, and a resurrection. What do you mean by yeah. that? That's a great yeah. sentence, by the way. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah it, it, was, it, it, it was a rush just because of the pure adrenaline of it. I mean, you don't, you don't uh, go downhill skiing around the world and not have some adrenaline. I mean, the whole thing was this, as I, as I, I say, like a galloping tail. It was just this fast-paced uh, journey of, of adrenaline and endurance and, and a whole, whole smattering of that. For me, I think I think the the, the burial part comes from me. I, I I wasn't in an avalanche, thank goodness. But I, I've often described that trip as an avalanche of my life. You know, all of the all of the things that I thought were holding my life up, um, particularly around the the uh, ideal, uh, idolization and idealist kind of version of success that I had surrounding the masculine, and I think that really uh, crumbled down. You know, that that was kind of the avalanche and burial, and then and then what what I pulled up out of that what I resurrected from that was, uh, not necessarily the full form yet. Took me, took me multiple years to get there and is still, still going in that direction, but was the, the idea of the feminine that I had really kind of stuffed to the very bottom of myself and not examined, not looked at, not valued. Um, so I, I think that's the thing that kind of came up out of the, out of the rubble of that. Yeah. It's always interesting to me when, you know, there's some kind of a journey and it doesn't have to be, you know, physical traveling type journey, but where it's almost like we push the pendulum so far to one side that like, there's no other choice, but for it to, to swing back. Like what's the mm -hmm. most intense thing I could mm -hmm. do, right? Or like the highest form of striving, or this is what success looks like. And, you know, I'd say rarely is that ever exactly what we thought it was going to be like. Well, exactly that. I mean, I, I, I didn't, this wasn't a conscious thing, but I think unconsciously, I went on that trip because it was like, well, if I can come home and say that I skied around the world and skied, you know, four million vertical feet or something, like it's, it, it, no one can argue with the fact that I'm going to be the one with the biggest cojones in the room. Like it was really this, this, this desire to have this, this sense of masculine achievement. Again, I couldn't have articulated it that way uh, when I was doing it, but unconsciously, I really think that's what it was. And then of course, uh, you know, when you say yes to these grand adventures, it's, it's, it's oftentimes your ego that says yes to the trip or the thing you get called into. And that's the exact thing that shatters as you're on your way. So I, I love that. I love that these, these journeys have a quote unquote surprise element. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's important. Do you feel like after coming back from that trip and kind of in the years since, I, guess, I mean, I don't even want to pose it as a yes or no question because I think the answer is probably yes, but I'm interested in how the desire to be impressive manifests for you now. Oh, that's an interesting question. How does the desire to be impressive uh, manifest for me now? Hmm. Well, I... 
um, I think now it's just been a complete shift to, uh, who it is that I would, I want to impress. I, I think when I was younger, I wanted to impress, uh, the world and, and I wanted to be seen particularly, uh, seen from a masculine gaze. I think now who I want to impress would be a much more spiritual answer. I, I want to impress my, my muses, my imaginary friends, my, you know, the, the way in which my, my, creative life and, and kind of what I'll call maybe my mythic imagination has the, the way that that's in the route that that's gone and the path I've taken with that. Like those are the quote unquote people I'd like to impress now. Mm, I love that. I've been thinking yeah. a lot over the last year about sort of switching my own focus into and kind of like the, the phrase that I use for it is like wanting to make my past self proud and my future self grateful. Mm, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. it's like, it's sort of similar, I think, to what you just said of like looking at, you know, what does, what would five years ago me be like so proud that I was able to do or grow in that way or right. And then kind of where my future self is going to be like, oh, thank God for putting me on this path. (laughs) Yeah, certainly, certainly. I think that's a very valuable uh, way of thinking about it. And and I, and I would agree with that. Um, and, And then I'd also add that, that, you know, I don't know where my belief about all of this developed or how it came to me or started, but I, I really do feel supported by multiple kind of, uh, non-tangible p- quote unquote people, um, that, that I, that I, I would like to impress daily. <laughs> yeah. I'm interested in hearing more about that. I don't even know what the question is, but like yeah. when you say intangible people, like, what do you mean? Can you ground that for me a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I'll offer I'll offer a couple of different groundings, and I think for people in the audience who are who are listening to this, um, certainly people who come from um, perhaps traditional religion could could grasp the concept of you know I wouldn't say it in these words, but like I want to impress Jesus, you know I, I have I have uh, spiritual kind of shapes and figures in my life that that I, that maybe would be could be thought of in that way that that I want to work with and, and impress and I, I might call it energy I might call it entity but I but I have a belief in that stuff and, and I'd like to uh, impress those th- those people um, or that whatever that energy is um, on, on another side that I think could be tangible to people is I you know as much as I talk about this people people kind of say, Oh, whoa! you've really tipped over the edge of like the, the, the woo, you know? Um, but, but I, when I talk about with this with people one-on-one, I, I don't know a person who hasn't had a, some kind of experience of a really close relative, maybe that's passed that they feel around on occasion. And, and when you get in one-on-one conversations, you know, people usually will nod their heads and say, yeah, you know, me too. Like I can feel my aunt or, uh, I feel like I've had conversations with my grandfather since he's passed or, you know, that type of thing. So, so I believe in that realm as well. And, and, and I'd like to, you know, you, you even hear this coming through in, in a lot of modern language. It's, it's spoken a little bit more tangibly, like I want to impress my ancestors. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that would be another, another way that I would think about it. I feel, uh, I feel my mother's father around my grandfather, maternal grandfather around all the time I have for 20 years since he passed. And, and I'd like to impress him. Yeah, I'm I'm interested in. I don't even think like not that they need to be reconciled, but um, you know the picture that you painted when you were describing your younger self is like more of that like masculine energy, right? Yeah. And the ego stuff and that, and then um, a more spiritual side. And I think they absolutely can exist together. But I'm uh-huh. interested in sort of what that evolution was like for you. Like, do you feel like you were raised with the, some of the things that you now believe, or was there a period of time no, where you were like, no. no, this doesn't work for me. I'm going to try something <laughs> different. I'm interested, sort of, in how people go from like this thing to this other thing yeah, over here. Yeah, yeah. 
absolutely. No, I wasn't, I wasn't raised like that. I was raised in a, um, in a family that was, that was not terribly spiritual really at all. I mean, my grandparents were a little bit, but, uh, but that was, that was about it. Um, and, uh, logical black and white thinkers, uh, glasses full silver lining type folk that, that, uh, you know, you work hard and you save some money and hopefully, you know, can create a nice life for yourself. It was pretty cut and dry. That said, I, th- I think on the fringes of my family, I think there's been, you know, deeply spiritual people. I, I talked about my maternal grandfather. He came from a long line of, of people who were uh, in England and in Ireland involved in the church. His, all of his brothers and sisters were nuns and priests, and they came from religion. Now, I didn't grow up in religion, but there certainly was a spiritual background. To, to, to answer maybe Krista Tippett's question, what was the spiritual background of your youth? I, I think ancestrally there was a spiritual background that I think just perhaps like went underground. And I think as a kid, you know, I think all kids, I think we believe in fairies and Santa Claus and, and mystery and myth and play and, you know, all of these interesting things. And I think, uh, over time, uh, and given the kind of structures and society and systems uh, around us, I think those become harder and harder to buy into and believe in. And, and that's the path that I took, you know, moved away from, the, the land of playing with dolls and making up stories and believing in Santa Claus in my bedroom as a kid to uh, really logical, hardworking, willpower focused kind of young woman. And I, I, th- I think the ski trip really is when that began to shift for me uh, in very slight ways. I, I had a very profound experience when I was in Chamonix. I felt like my grandfather was with me for like a whole day that we sat on the chairlift. I write about that in the book. And, and then from there, once I got back and, and really w- once I started dancing with creativity, that, that really was where the doors began to open for me in a big way. Like I, I didn't come from a background of writing or doing an MFA or anything like that. I've always liked to write, but I, I, I don't have an education in it. And so when I thought about the idea of writing, writing the book about the ski trip, I, I just began to have interesting creative experiences where I, I felt like there was support or people in the room or like I'd sit and write and I'd be like, well, where did I get that idea? Like, that's kind of cool. Like, did, did I, did my brain think that up or like, what's going on here? You know? And, and be, because I was so new to, I was so naive. Like I really had no idea about anything about the creative process. And so I think I just ran with that stuff and I assumed that was what every creative person did or had or engaged in. And so I began having conversations with other creatives, like it was common sense and and quickly learned that some people do not think that way. And there's a handful of people who really do. And, and those became my, my teachers and friends and allies. And, and, and I think that it's just grown and grown and grown from there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it's been a journey and it's a continual journey, continual journey for sure. But I certainly was not raised thinking I'd grow up to be anything close to, a, a some kind of magical mystic woman that lives in the forest, <laughs> prob- probably a better description of who I actually am. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's who you be, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's who I be. Yeah. So you mentioned at the start of writing the first book, um, you said you didn't know anything about the creative process. What yeah. are a few things about the creative process that you feel that you know now that you didn't know then? Oh yeah. I, yeah. Um, 
sometimes my question to this is a lot. Sometimes it's a little, but, <laughs> um, you know, here's, here's what I, here's what I know about the creative process. And actually the, tr- the ski trip really, really was a great teacher for this. It was a really great kind of one-on-one class before I went into creativity. I think there's a lot of people that are, that are natural creatives that want to paint, that want to write, that want to create music that, and, and a lot of them are like, well, but but if I've had this natural talent and then I go and try and do it and it's not perfect, then I've failed. And I hear this a lot, like that idea that people are held back from actually starting the painting or starting the book or, you know, starting in on making some music because, because they are scared that what comes out of them won't be very good. And my, my learning has been, of course it won't. Like, it'll be awful. Mm-hmm. And then you do it again. And then the next day you do it again and 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 you try and insert some joy in the process. And, and, and then hopefully at some point in all of that, you'll have something mediocre. And then hopefully a little while later, you'll have something, uh, pretty good. But, but there's this, there's this step by step by step. It's, it's the, it's, it's actually, you know, the, 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 the discipline of creativity of I'm going to get my butt in the chair and, and with as much levity and joy as possible, I'm going to stare into my own mediocrity every day after day after day until it becomes not mediocrity anymore. And that's, that's been a huge learning for me. And, and, and I, I revel in it now, you know, there's some days that I sit down and I write one or two sentences and I look back the next day and I, I say, well, those were crappy sentences, but it was a great, that, that means it was a great day of writing. Because oh you just God. got yeah. it down. Yeah, that uh, pep talk of the discipline of essentially like dealing with your own mediocrity. Like, can you just say yeah. that to me every day for the rest of my life? Because <laughs> yeah. that's actually, so fucking real. Oh my yeah, God. It, was, it was a gift to me. I, I remember I, I talked with this one woman at the beginning of the process of writing Unbound. And, and she, it was a, I'll never forget this. Uh, her name is Helen Chang. And, and she does a lot of ghost writing and, and does a lot of various other book projects, but she was just giving me some advice over the phone one day. And she said, Steph, I want you to write a first draft and I want you to just write and write and write and write and write and write and write, uh, you know, every day and don't look back and don't edit whatever. And then, and at the end of, I can't remember how long she said at the end of three months, at the end of four months, you'll have a collection of words. that's maybe, you know, maybe the length of a book and it's going to be, I want to prepare you for this. She said, it's going to be the shittiest thing you've ever written. And, and if it's not the shittiest thing you've ever written, I'll be disappointed in you. And it, it provided me all of the permission and freedom to just sit down and do the work, you know, and, and not worry about whether the work was good or bad or where it was going or what an agent would think, or would my dad like it? Or, you know, none of that, none of that, just so that you could get to a point where you go, wow, I just spent three months or four months or a year or however long. And I have written something that's the length of a book. Like, that's an accomplishment. And then to ask the question, then, not before then, but then at, at the end of that finish line to start another one and say, what do I do with it now? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and that's a really hard question. Like I'll say even for me a couple of years ago, was it a couple of years ago last year? I don't know, time. Um, I wrote a first draft of a book about a solo 800 mile hike that I did. And um, it was like 80,000 words, you know, something in that. And I put it down for a couple of months afterwards yeah. and came back to it. And it's so bad and like not in a, yeah. oh, cute self-deprecating. Like it's bad actually. Yeah. And that's fine. And I will tell you that I, with how much work that it took to get the bad draft 
draft done, I got so daunted by how bad it was that I haven't touched it since then. And maybe that will come back around. But all of that to say what you are saying is incredibly relatable. Yeah. I mean, you got to, you got to listen, you're, you're 10,000 paces. Uh, this is, this is very much, you know, it's funny. I've got a little, uh, I've got a kind of group coaching book club thing that we, that we run as one of the programs. It's called read like a mother. And, and right now we're, we're reading slash rereading because many people have read it already. Uh, the alchemist. And, and it's very much like that. There's, there's a, I'm, I'm going to mess up the quote, but there's something like, you know, he, he's, he's been at the crystal shop uh, where he's, he's working and he's trying to get to Egypt, but he's been stuck at this crystal shop working for, for, for a year. And at the end of the year, it's like, well, it's been a year and I've been stuck here, but I actually am, you know, two hours closer to Egypt than I was before. And, and don't lose sight of that. You know, that, that if you've got a draft of 80,000 words, you, you are well ahead of many, 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 many people who want to be writing stories. The, the, the next step is how do I look at my own mediocrity and slice it and dice it and move forward from there once again? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And just like the very human thing of like, oh, I don't want to. And also I do. Right. And I think what you're speaking right. to that I really appreciate is that it is often messier and more layered and complex, you know, than we necessarily yeah. want it to be. And I, I really liked what you said about the, the idea of the discipline of creativity. I think that yeah. that's something that gets overlooked and not to say that it it takes embodying this mentality of it's gonna you know it has to be such a grind like what you said about adding in joy and adding in levity and yeah. finding ways to fall in love with the process and also sometimes it's just kind of going to be awful and I, I think about that a lot in terms of like one of my personal values is resilience and like yeah. even when it's awful yeah. it's I'm still building resilience from doing it and there's like something in that space that's really attractive to me yeah absolutely I think it's I think it's apprenticeship I think we've really lost sight of that in our society these days I mean we, we want things yesterday. You know, we want the change to have happened yesterday. We're very, very impatient. We expect things now. Uh, and, and that concept of, of apprenticeship of really long-term dedication to something is, is a huge part of this. I'd also say there's this, this kind of ties back to, you know, what what we touched on a little bit earlier in regards to kind of spiritual beliefs that come involved in, in creativity is, uh, I don't believe I'm doing it alone. And so if I'm stuck or, or I've got the 80,000 words of, of my own mediocrity in front of me and, I, and I'm scared and I don't, I don't know where to go, I ask, hey, book, where are we going? Hey, people who kind of gave me the idea to write this, can you give me some help here? You know, I, 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 don't, I don't think we've got to be kind of alone in this. So, so I feel as though once you get that far into a project, at least for me, I feel as though there's almost the voice of the book and the trajectory of the book or the project that comes forward that, uh, we can ask for assistance. You know, sometimes I get frustrated enough that I'm like, all right, I'm not going to do any more good today, putting words down. Cause I can feel it. I can feel my own ego or I can feel my own fear or whatever coming through. So I'm just going to stop. And I stop and literally at my desk, I stand up and I say, Hey, whoever's helping me with this, I'm going to walk away. If you could just step in and like edit this overnight and help me out and, you know, plant some ideas down, that would be great. And I'll come back tomorrow and look at them. And I, and I do, and I see different things and I have fresh eyes. And, and, and I think that's been an extraordinarily helpful thing to me to think I might be the one who's at, got the butt, my butt in the chair, like the discipline of like putting my hands on the keyboard, but I, I don't have to, there's a choice of like, I don't have to feel alone in this. Mm-hmm. And that's just that's those are some of my own create kind of creative or spiritual beliefs. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, and also, 
I've been trying to, and I definitely want to talk to you about this idea of intuition or which I think is one of those big words that everyone knows what it means and then also doesn't, right? There's like an Mm -hmm. interesting conversation to be had there, but I've been trying to pay more attention to like when I feel like I'm getting nudges for things and especially Mm -hmm. like in the work process. Um, And for me, you know, when you mentioned, hey, I'm not going to get any more good work done today. Let me step away from for a while. I'm trying to pay attention to that of like when I have this impulse of like, just go for a walk or take a shower, Mm -hmm. right? And like almost mm-hmm. always something gets unlocked through taking that break right. and it's being right. able to sort of differentiate when that feels like the right thing to do versus when I'm doing that like as an escapist thing because I'm feeling resistance. And that's it, it, one of those things I think is tough to talk about or to find language for, but I do know the difference when I feel it. Exactly when you feel it. And that right there alone tells me that you're already, again, kind of one step ahead in, in the fact that you're using your body to channel something like, oh, isn't it interesting that every time resistance aside, if I just get like, you know what, I'm kind of done for today. I'm going to go for a walk that every time that that happens, something comes literally comes through to you then. Mm -hmm. And so you go, Oh, okay. There's something else at play here. Like I'm, I'm receiving my body's receiving information about this. So the question for me is always like, well, where does that information come from? Like Mm -hmm. me and my own genius brain, or (laughs) I don't know, maybe it does. Um, but, but, but I, I'm a really, really big believer that, you know, from a, from a scientific standpoint, from a spiritual standpoint, like nothing gets created alone. There's always co-create, you always have to have two things, you, you co-creation to, to make something new. Yeah. And I, and I do think that we learn through the process of continuing to do it, right? Or continuing to make yeah. stuff. And, you know, so for you right now, you're currently working on your second memoir. Is that right? Yes, I am. Yeah. 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 How do you feel like that, like the creation process for this book has been different from the first one, if at all? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's been, it's been yeah, it's been very, it's been very different. Um, it's still memoir. There's still kind of a quote unquote journey, like a, a, a trip that serves as the backbone of the story. You know, the first one was the ski trip. The second one was a trip I took with my mom. So there, there are similarities and cross crossovers. I think this book has felt to me more organic. Like the other one, I feel like I was able to write in a more linear kind of quicker. It, 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 to be honest, it kind of matched the trip. And this one is a little bit more organic, a little bit more kind of, there's a little bit more mystery of like, well, should I turn over this puzzle piece first or should I write it linearly, linear? I don't even know how to pronounce it. Um, so that's been a, a difference. The other part of this book is that, um, this is a story that my, my first book was really a story about me, you know, me in my twenties, me, me really discovering who I was in the world. Uh, this is a story about my mother and I, and, and really who I am because of her. And so there's a lot of her in the book. And so that's been a different balance because there's, I, I just, I have to, it, it, it shifts the voice, right. That I am used to writing in because I'm including more than one person. It, it also, the voice has shifted because I'm 10 years older and, and, and have 10 years more of my own life experience. So there's a little bit of a shift in, I've noticed a bit of sh- a shift in the writing voice. So it took me, it, it, it took me a bit when I was writing quite a bit of it this spring, uh, May and June was, 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 highly frustrating for me because I, I didn't feel as though I could hear the voice of the book or the voice of myself very clearly. It took me a little bit of time to get there. Um, but once I got there, it's been this kind of like, it's just a giant maple tree with a maple syruping process. It's been a slow kind of steady drip of organic content. And it's been, 
juicy and full of massive learning for me. And I, I'm, I'm just in love with it. And it's teaching me a lot. It's funny. I feel like, you know, I'm writing a memoir as a story about my life and my mother's life, but it's like, I almost feel as though it's unfolding in front of me. Like, like it's almost feels like fiction in some ways that it's like, wait, how did I not know this about my own life? It's, it's, it's been a full of a lot of wonderful surprises. So I'm, I'm thrilled with the process. I've, I've probably still got this book doesn't come out until the spring of 2021. So I've still got anywhere from kind of two to six months of writing left and it's going well. I'm really, uh, I, I, I relish in it. It's, it's been wonderful. I actually just got off the phone with my editor about the first half of the book and we're in a good place with it. So it feels good. Yeah. So you mentioned that it doesn't come out until 2021. A question that I get a lot, um, whether it's in the creative realm or business or like a personal growth, like life change type of thing, since those are all things that I talk about a lot, the growth change kind of process, Mm -hmm. um, is sort of this sticking with a long-term thing, right? Or the (laughs) not instant gratification of it, right? Or, you know, the, the inevitable, oh, I'm excited about this. And then I'm not excited about this. And so obviously you just laid out, you know, a long time frame and you've been working on it. So the time frame's even longer than from now till spring of 2021. And do you have anything about that idea of how to do a long-term thing that you want to speak about? Sure. Yeah. I could talk about this for ages. I mean, first of all, I'll go back to the, back to the concept, concept of apprenticeship. I think we've really lost touch with that and how deeply, deeply important it is to, to work at something over a period of time, a lengthy period of time to gain and transfer wisdom. You know, I, I, I really think, um, I think, I think a lot of us are looking for the quick fix, you know, the, the, you know, let me heal this yesterday so that I can move on with my life. You know, it's like, no, that's your life. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I think there's an obsession with it. You know, let me, let me move on with our lives or this obsession with kind of the now. The, the one place that I notice it a lot is um, in, in our, our kind of demand and, and maybe I'd say like entitlement for answers. You know, we've, we've come into a part of our, our own culture that, uh, you know, if I, see something or have a question that pops into my head about something, I just Google it. I I just put in like, I could Google red Fox and it would come up with, you know, all of these definitions and distinctions about different types of red colored foxes and where they live and what they do and what they eat and what they sound like and all this stuff. And, and I think, um, well, in some cases and in some ways that's, that's highly helpful for us to have this kind of information at our fingertips. I think what it's done is it's stripped us from our ability to sit in wonder and awe and curiosity and, and, and I think that is what makes our life, you know, so, so I'm, I'm much more interested in questions than I am in answers. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we've got, and this is why I relish conversations like this, because they're full of just, just really juicy questions that we get to roll around in. And, and some of them we know, and some of them we don't, and some of them, some of them, you know, you know might sit with you and you'll be thinking about for, for months. And, and, and I think, God, what a luxury that is. And so oftentimes when things come to me now uh, that I could, I could Google, I, I just don't. Because I, I think, well, w- wouldn't that be magical if the answer just came to me like a month from now or two months from now? Mm-hmm. Or I bumped into someone who's like a, a red fox master of the world and I sit with them in, on a train and I ask, what do you do? And they say, oh, I study red fox. And I just get to ask them. I, I don't know. I think that stuff is really, really cool. So I think that's our, our demand and entitlement for answers is um, – uh, I, I think it's in, 
I think it's in the wrong place. I think we should be more focused on the questions. Yeah. And so circling back to the idea of like doing something over the long term, I can completely yeah. see how those dots connect and that that would make it more enjoyable for you. Yeah. And, and here's the thing too, is like, I'm, I'm starting to think of the long term also. And, and I think that you can, you can sense this happening again, as people start to talk about epigenetics and ancestral healing and, and, you know, you are the, you are the, the person that your ancestors have been dreaming of and your legacy and even concepts that we're starting to see about quantum physics and time and the way it moves and different, different ideas around that. Um, I'm starting to think of, uh, not, not just like a long-term project of, well, this, this project of book writing I might, might take five years of my time, but long-term projects is in, um, you know, what is the span of, what is the expected span of what I, the decisions that I make and the things that I put into the world and the energy in which I sit in and, and infuse into a book, like, what is that going to affect generally, generationally? And, and am, am I thinking long-term as in, if I can heal or, or sit in the right questions around this trauma that's been passed down in my family, like, do I have the ability maybe to heal generations and generations and generations? Like, that's a long-term project. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm actually thinking of, you know, sure, I, I, I'm writing a book for, I don't know, I'll probably, I'm just trying to think about this. I'll, I'll, you know, I took my mom on the trip in 2016, I think. The book will come out in 2020. So let's say five years, right? So I was working on the project for five years, and I think that's a blip. Uh, actually, what, what I'm working on with that project is is probably the span of about 500 years. Mm-hmm. And, and what if we began to open up the idea that uh, what we do and what we put out into the world is not just to affect today or tomorrow or my mood or my bank account in, the, in these brief kind of days or minutes or years, but, but really what am I doing to, you know, impact the world long, long, long term? Yeah. Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a really really big question, and I think it it's interesting because even uh, riddle me this. Even as we talk about this, do you feel like time has slowed down? Yeah, I mean, time itself is something that that could be a whole other conversation, right? Of like the experience of time and like what's real and not real, and sort of time mm-hmm. abundance versus time mm-hmm. scarcity mindsets, which is something that right. I'm personally really interested in right now. Right. So yes. Exactly. Like I felt it even as you, as you kind of took a deep breath there, it's like, ah, oh, time just slowed down for her. She became more present. So you can feel that as you begin to, it's, it's like counterintuitive, right? But as you begin to think about the very, very big long term, there's actually more time and spaciousness and presence that, that we're granted in our day to day, in our moment to moment. And what a freaking gift that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Especially mm-hmm. too, as a reminder, I, mean, I don't know about you, but like my default is not to feel that way, or like necessarily right, to right. think that way. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. you know, but it, it is a good reminder. Like sometimes I have to just like think about, you know, the wisdom that I need is like already there. Right. And it's just like, I almost like in a cute way that I have to continue to re-remind myself of all the things that I actually already know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 So you mentioned a couple of times um, this idea of apprenticeship, which is something mm-hmm. that I, I would like to circle back to um, and I guess pivot a little bit to another aspect of your career, because I know mm-hmm. that in the last three years that you have led, partnered, and or co-facilitated more than 80 events. So congrats yeah. on that. By the way, 80 <laughs> is a lot of events. That's, that's what happens when you do a book tour. <laughs> you end up getting a lot of events. Yeah, yeah. Lots and of 
you know, you said that after completing what was the final event of this year, that you, you feel like your 101 lessons are now complete and that you're moving to the master class. And I see some mm-hmm. like parallel with that to the apprenticeship, but can you go into more detail about that? What do you mean? Yeah. I mean, I didn't know I was, I didn't know this is what I was doing. Right. But when, when, when Unbound came out, um, you, you know, you, you get a, a pretty quick lesson in public speaking or events, right. Cause you got to go out and do these book, book events, bookstore. Thank you, Barbara, who showed up in that obscure Colorado bookstore, you know, or sometimes it's for 400 people or 500 people, you know, it just kind of depends on, on what's, and maybe sometimes larger, sometimes people are dealing with like crowds of thousands, but I, I didn't know. I just kind of said, yes, like, okay, great. Here we go. I'm going to go and talk about my book and, and be in conversation with people and get, you know, into, do these events. And, and as I reflect back, I go, Oh my gosh, I really, over those 80 events, have been observing and, and watching and feeling into what, what energy is in a room and, and what it feels like and what it looks like and what different people do to it. And, and it's just been a, a profound lessons in that. You know, when I reflect back on the handful of years of walking into various rooms in various cities across uh, North America, just thinking... Oh, I've, I've been learning about energy in a room um, and, and the energy of places. And, and I feel as though without me knowing it, it's been a real apprenticeship to, can you maestro that energy? Can, can you gather it? Can you move it? Can you, can you use it to impact people on, on a deeper and perhaps more profound or positive way? Uh, and, and I believe that you can, and I think that's what those, those 80 events have, have taught me. So, so th- then I kind of think, okay, well, the learning's not done, right? Cause the learning's never done. So, so then I think, well, what, you know, I, I said, and as, as you, as you quoted, like, okay, I, I did the one one and now I'm moving to the master class. And the most interesting, this goes back to what we just talked about. The most interesting question that I have about the master class is what is it? I, mm-hmm. I don't have an answer for that. And that was going to be but my I, question. So sure yeah. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, but I, but I'm sure I'll find out. And that's, that's the, an exact example of how to sit in a question of, well, okay, universe, like I'm headed to the master class, so, so provide it. I'm ready to learn. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea what it looks like. I have maybe some inklings, but uh, that, that's a question that I will be sitting in over the next one or two or, or three years. And, and whatever the subject of that master class is, it, it will present itself. And I don't need to – I don't need to – all I need to do is get intentional about showing up for the class and whatever lessons are going to be taught to me, then I'll, I'll discover those along the way. Mm-hmm. The first one was about energy in a room. And it took me 80 events to figure out what that class was. Right. I mean, isn't that so true that sometimes you don't even like recognize what the thing is until you're deep in the thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's it, what, what it's all about. <laughs> I think. Over, you know, you mentioned that you think that you feel like kind of the first version of it was learning about energy in the room. I'm interested over the course of 80 plus events, what the experience Mm. was like of your ego showing up. Um, I remember um, Mm. uh, when you were sharing stories in our our workshop in September, you said something, I don't even really remember the context, uh, but you said a a phrase about ego peacocking that I remember writing down and thinking was really interesting (laughs) because it's such like a visceral representation of like, we do know what that's like when we're like being the showy peacock. And so I don't know, is there anything that you can say about sort of how the ego 
showed up for you and what it was like to kind of keep moving out of its way or like, yeah, moving out of the way of your own ego over those events? Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm giggling that you're bringing up uh, Peacock because there's a, there's a group of, of women that I work with right now where we've been we've been talking a lot about Peacocks and there's been Peacock imagery showing up everywhere. So it's, it's quite funny. Um, so yeah, a couple of things. I think that that example that you're that you're that you're talking about is you know when I went out to to New York to go and meet publishers for the first book deal, you know here I am, I, little Canadian gal. Not I don't I wouldn't describe myself as little, but like little as in uh, energetically, like I don't know what I'm doing. Um, kind of scared little Canadian gal going out to big New York City. I mean, this is a big deal for me, uh, and I had no idea what to expect. I was totally out of my uh, out of my comfort zone, out of my element. And I was going to meet publishers to talk about this book and I have no writing background. I have no education in writing. You know, it was a pretty freaky situation for me. And so I, I remember sitting in my hotel room that, that night and, and thinking, well, I've got two choices. Like tomorrow I could show up and I could bring the egoic peacock. This is, this is the example that I gave you. And, and I could, uh, really just razzle dazzle them with the, with the sheer force of my personality and, and try and grab a book deal off of the table and run, run forth into the world with it. Or, or I could, uh, I'm still going to use the word peacock because they're, they're really beautiful words, but there's, there's this egoic peacocking. And then there's really this, this, this actually kind of, uh, more authentic display of who, of, of you and your beauty that it still is a peacock, right. But it's not in the egoic way. So, so, or I could walk into the meeting and just kind of authentically show my feathers and maybe they're not the perfect feathers and, and maybe the feathers are sweaty and maybe the feathers show up as a shaky voice or whatever, but they're authentic and they're mine. And I'm going to show, I'm going to put them on the table. And, and I'm going to put, 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 lay my ego to rest before I walk into that room. And, and that's the option I chose. So, so that's the example that I gave to you. But when you think about it in regards to the 80 events, um, this is speaking of energy in a room. If my learning was to understand how energy is in a room and how it works and the way that it moves and how people impact it, if my ego is in the way, then the, then the energy I'll pick up on is, is all going to be ego. And so really those 80 events were, were a lesson and a learning about how to, exactly what you said, how to get out of my own way. So as to, to I'm just going to go there, it's like, so as to channel what, what that energy in the room needs or wants or is calling for or how to move with it. Um, and, and, and many of those events, to be quite frank, I can't remember what, happened, what I said, what I, we just, we just, this last event that we did, I, I mean, I, I should send you a screenshot of the itinerary. I mean, it basically for the whole weekend, we had the itinerary for an entire weekend retreat was, was sessions at nine o'clock AM group sessions, uh, lunch at this restaurant at 12. And those were the only notes we had going into the weekend. It was an extraordinarily profound weekend because we got out of the way and we went into what I'll call perhaps like an embodied flow of the energy in that room and, and became what it needed. And that requires, I think, that you let go of ego. You know, because it, this, is, this is one of my big learnings with Unbound, too, as I was getting ready to publish it. I, I did a lot of work with a, with a coach about uh, releasing, detaching from external validation and praise, right? Det detaching from what my ego really wanted or needed. 
because if the book came out and did fantastically, I didn't want my ego to like become some balloon. And I was all of a sudden unrelatable and I lost relationships in my lives because I was this, you know, thought I was this big deal. On the flip side, if, if Unbound came out and was met with a big, big critique or uh, the internet trolls, I, I didn't want to be devastated. So I did, I did a lot of intentional work around stepping away from that so, so that I got to a place where I go, you know, my work, whether it's writing, whether it's being with people, like it has everything to do with me because it's me talking and it's my voice and it's my body. It's, it's the trips that I went on. It's, you know, th this type of thing, but, but also nothing to do with me. Just nothing. Yeah. I love that. I think, <laughs> I think that, I feel like my brain's like exploded a little bit in a good way. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I, mm. I think it's interesting the sort of question, and maybe this is even like a want to know the answer right away, like searchy ego question, sure. but it's like interesting to, to like see what like when you were talking about, you know, being able to put the ego aside, right? Or like, you know, walking into that, you know, meeting about the book deal, for example, like the thing that comes into my mind is like, yeah. okay, but actually what did you do, right? Like, how did you do that? Like, I do think there's like a yearning sometimes for mm. like something tactical or, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but I always find when someone describes mm. something like that to me, mm. I'm like, that sounds lovely, but actual, how do you do that? <laughs> and I don't know if there is an answer, mm. but mm. it's interesting to like watch that come up in me as you were sharing that story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I, I would say, I mean, if somebody's looking for tactical steps to move in that direction, I mean, first of all, like, you know, you've got to develop an awareness of when you're, when your ego's there, that's, that's just step number one, you know, is my ego running the show? And, and I don't want to like, uh, throw the ego completely under the bus. Like it does a good job. It tries to keep us safe. It try, you know, there's a lot of reasons that we have it. Right. But um, so, so awareness is step number one. I, I also think that we, we, for me, I, I've really had to work on occupying my full body. When, when my ego is at the helm, my energy predominantly is living from my neck up in my head, thinking through all the right steps and what are they going to theorizing about this and that. I mean, that's, that's just typically where, my, where, where the energy of my own ego would sit. Whereas if I'm able to maybe, maybe meditate for a little bit, maybe go out in nature, maybe really ground down and bring my energy down, down into my, into my core, into my legs, into my feet, into my body. I just, I begin to feel more relaxed. Like I don't have to have all the answers. Like I'm just here and I'm just present. And, and, and that's becomes an easier place, I think, from which to have, uh, an, an authentic interaction with another person. That's where we have connection with other people. And so, so that would be step number one. Now that can also be something, if you're looking for tangible steps, that can also be something that's practiced. Like, you know, I was doing it today when I went on a walk, I went on a walk this morning, took the dog out and I, I really could feel, I noticed my energy was like kind of up and in my head and kind of out of my body, like forward, like projecting, like, okay, this program and this has to happen and I should get this organized in a calendar and I got to do this and get this. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Take note, your energy is upwards and in front of you. Like, can you get it all back in your body for two seconds? So then I, so then I did. And as I was walking, I was imagining my body kind of put my energy, sorry, pouring back into my body and going all the way down my legs into the ground and going, ah, there I am. Now I'm present. Look at that tree. Isn't it beautiful? Hmm, oh my yeah. God. Look at the dog chasing the ball. It's gorgeous. Yeah. And, and so, the so difference, those are, those are good exercises. I love that. The difference between that and sort of feeling like you have to chase your own energy. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, that is a great articulation of it. If you feel you're chasing your own energy, then 
there's there you're either not in the all in the same place at the same time or you're not present or maybe egos at play there's a, could be a variety of different things but i went to a an event a while back it was part of an event with a group called she ventures and i i'm not going to remember the name of the woman who said this but she said she was a health talking about health and she's like all wellness is being right with time and what she meant by that was your ability to thrive as a human being means that your mental body your physical body your emotional body and your spiritual body have to be in the same place at the same time hmm. And I thought that was so profound because quite often our emotions are in the past, our mental self is in the future, our bodies are kind of nowhere to be found, and we don't have access to our spirituality. <laughs> yeah. That's like you, the perfect description of being a human like in yeah. 2019. You're right. <laughs> oh, my God. So, so, so the practice becomes how do I get all of those things in the same place at the same time? And, and I am not a great uh, – I, I am not a consistent and disciplined meditator, but I do have a handful of moving meditations or meditative practices that that help me to do that, to be to come back home into my body. I'm here to have a human experience, and part of that human experience means I've got to live inside the container of me, uh, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, et cetera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly no surprise to me that I'm drawn to you and your work. I always I think a lot about um, the the ways that we sort of orient ourselves towards someone who's like six to ten steps further ahead on any given path that we're mm-hmm. interested in, right? Like sometimes I feel like if someone's like seventy five steps ahead, the gap is too great to be relatable. And I've been finding lately mm-hmm. that I'm really drawn to spending time around or asking questions of people who exactly like you said are able to occupy their full body, right? Like really have an embodied, like sensual, sense-heavy experience and sort of the ways that that dovetails with spirituality. I'm just like really vastly, endlessly curious about what those like day-to-day things are like. Like I find myself wanting to ask people like, what are your daily rituals? Like prayers, practices, like things in that space. And so everything that you're sharing, it's clear to me, like you're illuminating one of the reasons that I find you so interesting, if that makes sense. Well, that's, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm so with you. And I think this is such a kind of a hot topic actually right now, because there's, there's a lot of people that want to, um, that want to leave their bodies. Like they want to like, you know, I want to be in the spiritual realm and I want to go up and out of here. It's like, well, no, you're here to have a human experience. Otherwise you wouldn't be here. So, so get back in your body. Now there's a couple things to say about that. First of all, if, if uh, a person has experienced various forms of trauma through their life, whether it be developmental trauma, whether it be um, post-traumatic stress from a, a specific incidents that maybe in their adulthood, chronic stress that we, most of us have had, you know, some kind of chronic stress trauma in our bodies. It, for many, many people, it's an excruciating ordeal to actually be in their body. They don't know how, right? And that's through no fault of their own. But it, to, to talk about 101 work, to talk about uh, really, really critical work that needs to happen is if you have had some sort of trauma, I would highly, highly, highly recommend working with a somatic practitioner, somatic experience therapist to learn how to safely come back into your body. Because for many people, their bodies just aren't safe places to be in, right? So that's just, that's, I, I want to state that and then kind of park it to the side. Now, if, if, you, if you've done that work and or you don't come from a background of trauma, um, you st- there's still a lot to be done, as we talked about in that emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual kind of sense of like getting, occupying the same space at the same time. And, and I think it is uh, absolutely a doorway to spirituality. And this, this I, I don't know if you were going to go there, but you talked about this and this idea of like this kind of deeply sensual, like this like really rich use of one's senses. This is the basis of intuition. 
all, all our, our mental state is responsible for our, 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 our thinking, our, our acquiring of knowledge from a thinking standpoint. But our bodies are responsible for the acquiring of knowledge from an intuition standpoint. So every sense that you have comes with its own form of uh, intuition, right? Some people have, may get visions, like they're, they have visual intuition. I can see things, right? Hey, I, you know, I feel like I've seen you somewhere before. You know, you could have auditory intuition. You know, that rings a bell. Have I heard that before? Have you heard that song before? Something about that, woof, man. I feel like I've heard that somewhere before. Yeah. And you can go into um, kinesthetic intuition. Oh my God, this woman, she walked into the room and I just, my whole body was covered in goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so I, I could go on about that, but that's, that's a definitely embodiment leads to uh, use, the use of senses to move into our own sense of intuition. Uh, and intuition is accessing and, and utilizing information that is not coming from our, our thinking or our processing or our mental capacity. And, and then you could go into a whole other like spiritual realm of, of uh, if you could take that, you know, I don't know how many levels, one level or 17,000 levels further, uh, w- what would be people who are really clairvoyant or clairsentient or, you know, all of these different things. Again, they all have a, an attachment to a sense of the body. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it, this, this is so deeply the human experience. If, if from a spiritual perspective, energy, the only thing energy doesn't have or spirit doesn't have is a body. And so it, it's desperate to, to help us use ours to get shit done <laughs> because we can do a lot of stuff with our, with our bodies. And so I, I, I feel the same way as you really, really becoming drawn to people who are deeply embodied and or helping and encouraging people to move in that direction. Uh, I had, I had an experience a while back. I was on a hike with someone and they were, they were behind me and, and uh, of course they, we were moving at the same pace, but I could, I could literally feel her energy pushing on mine as if to say, move faster. And I, and I just got a keen sense that she just, her, I don't know which part of her, whether it was emotional or mental or whatever, but there was some part of her that was like, I already want to be in the car and I already want to be on the road home instead of being on the hike. And, and I didn't say anything and I didn't say like, what's going on. I just said, Oh, I gotta, I gotta pick something up. You, you go ahead. Right. And so she, so I, you know, put my backpack down, grabbed some water and she, she went ahead of me and then I put my stuff back on and went, went behind her. And, and I immediately felt like there was not that energetic push coming from behind. I went, whew, now I can, I can be present here. Mm-hmm. It's such a good example of what it what it feels like to be around somebody who's who's um, maybe for the, for temporarily for that moment, no, you know, no fault of her own, but just maybe thinking about something or you know, not 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 present in the moment, not not inside, uh, all in one one place at one time. Mm-hmm. So this question that you're posing of like how we access these alternative forms of information, right, embodiment, intuition, that kind of stuff, as opposed to just our brains, can you share some details about? what that looks like in your real life. Like I know earlier, I sort of mentioned like mm-hmm. daily rituals, practices, prayers. Like, are there a couple of mm-hmm. things that like the you, the November, 2019 you, right? Like how are you yeah. sort of yeah. in pursuit of, and I don't even know if pursuit's the right word, but in pursuit of kind of accessing that alternative information. 
Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think, um, what we talked about, like, like embodiment, can I do, can I do a walking meditation? Can I do a meditation? Can I, can I just go, you know, it's as simple as going for a walk and asking yourself, am I in my body? Right. And so, so that would be number one is that's, that's something that's on my mind quite a bit is, is a body awareness. Am I here? Am I present? Uh, even before we did this call, you know, doing things to help me become present. I light a candle. I'm going to make sure I've got my water. I'm going to, so that everything's taken care of so that my mind can just kind of turn off and I can be here. Um, I think for me, I, as I said before, I've, uh, I use meditation, uh, on occasion. There's a handful of things though, that are power, really powerful for me in this. One is dreams. I've always had a really rich dream life and I like to, I don't necessarily write my dreams down, but I, I like to kind of use them as maybe access to mythical imagination. What, what might that mean? Or what does that tell me? Or, you know, my husband and I often talk about our dreams and I think it just kind of opens me up to that liminal space between what's real and what's not real, you know? And the second thing that I do tangibly, and I, and I do this most often when I'm uh, well, I'll say two things actually. Most often when I'm working on a writing project, one is I have a journal that I will write a handful of pages in before I actually start writing, like typing up a book, like writing for the book. And, and I think what that allows me to do is what I call like skims the fat. It just kind of like takes any of the excess stuff that might be in my brain that I'm thinking about or overthinking or worried about or whatever. And it just kind of clears that like, all right, that's being said. So now I can be here. I've, I've got, I've, I've removed those thoughts off of my head. I've skimmed the fat of what's on the top of the boiling milk here. And now it's just the boiling milk and we can get that, we can get that out on the page. Right. So mm-hmm. that's a very helpful process for me. Another thing that I do is I do a guided meditation because I'm not terribly good at sitting in my own silence, uh, as you can probably tell. <laughs> Hard same. Sure. Sure. <laughs> so, so I do a guided meditation, which is, you know, 17 minutes of a, of a recording that I like. There's, there's one in particular that I like, and I'm happy to p- provide it for you. You can put it in the show notes or whatever. And, uh, it's called healing street and it's just a woman's voice. that like takes you through this little visual and this meditation. And then you arrive in this place and then, and then, and I actually don't know how long she's quiet for. It could be like two minutes, could be seven. I'm not sure, but you kind of then, uh, it's almost like lucid dreaming. Where, where you've, you've done a little bit of meditation and you've, you've gotten yourself and your body into a very relaxed state and you're all here and you're all present. And then she takes you this thing and then, and then it's up to your imagination to kind of fill in the rest. For, for, for me, from a creative standpoint, that's been invaluable because it just, it allows you to like, this is what we've lost as kids. You know, as kids, we had these imaginations, you know, we still have them. It's just, it's just how often are we using them? to make up something fantastical. So I think what that's allowed me to do in a really tangible sense is, you know, I have those practices that I sit down and I do, and they've really opened up an an ability to uh, think more magically about what reality might be presenting me. Cause those are, those are non-reality based, right? But then when reality happens, it becomes easier to think uh, a little bit more lightheartedly or mythically about, about those situations. Yeah, I've wondered that a lot of, you know, where did this fantastic imagination of my childhood go? Because I was, you know, very similar of make up stories, build worlds, create these things. And, you know, it's I, I sometimes think that that mostly happened when I was otherwise bored, right? Like the the, the, the inability to Google yeah, something, yeah. right? Or to turn something on or, you know, that yeah. I kind of had to create my own, I guess, like fun, so to speak. And unless well, I really yeah. 
force those can or not necessarily force, but unless I intentionally create those conditions now, it is rare that I feel that way or like that I'm bored or have that much free space. Right. And, and actually, I, I'm so glad you mentioned that. This takes you right back to Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey. And one of the parts that I really love about the hero's journey is his discussion around boredom. Right. So I, I have come to believe that boredom is the foundation in the house of change. That, that, it, it, we, we, ha- there, that we have to reach a point of boredom in, in order for something to change. Now, the, the trick is to, to do that from the place of boredom. Like, is it, t- take any of the popular movies, you know, um, Harry Potter, who, what's Dorothy Gale, what's the Wizard of Oz or uh, Star Wars or any of these things. The, the main person, the hero in the story, always at the very beginning of the movie, you see that they're bored. Luke Skywalker was like a moisture farmer on a beige planet. Boring. Harry Potter was living in his aunt and uncle's house underneath a set of stairs with the muggles in the world of the muggles. Boring. Hmm. Dorothy Gale was uh, living in Kansas with like a ratty terrier with a, um, it, it was black and white in the beginning of that movie. Boring. And so, so there's this concept that boredom is and, and and slight discontent is actually a really good sign of of when things have an opportunity to change now very often what we do is we put our boredom on the back burner and we fill our plates and we fill them with busyness and then the boredom and discontent simmers on the back of, of the stove and turns into jealousy or upset or frustration and then it, and then it starts to like boil real hard and it turns into rage or accidents or health scares or, you know, all of these different things. If we can, I I think it's great. Like I'd say, like, let yourself get bored, let yourself get a little bit bored, clear some space in your life and invite creativity and invite imagination from that place. Because quite often we do it too late and and then all of a sudden your life explodes and then, well, then you got to get creative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm sitting with what you said, this idea of kind of boredom being, the like catalyst for change. I think that's so interesting. Like one of yes. the ways that I have tended to talk and think about like change catalysts for myself is like the point at which like the pain of the thing outweighs whatever my fear is or like resistance yes, to making yes. the change. Yes. And and it's funny because I feel like pain and boredom are two different things, but maybe they're just kind of different ways of articulating like a similar thing or different ends of the same thing. But I think, yeah, the boredom, the boredom makes sense. Even like when you were sharing that, I thought, you know, of maybe it's not necessarily like the extent of the pain, but like being like bored of hearing yourself say the same thing over and over. Like there is a tie in there that I think is very relevant. Uh, And here's my question is like, imagine, is it possible to imagine that you didn't need to have it go to pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That that as soon as that as soon as this is, I talked about this on my book tour a lot. Like as soon as boredom walks in the door, I want to like run up to it and grab it by its shirt collars to say like, where are we going to go? Right. It's not to say that pain doesn't happen in our life. Sometimes shit hits the fan and pain comes in and it's big and there's, just, there's nothing we can do about it. But there's many many times also that before pain arrives to the party, boredom shows up. And we totally disregard it and we fill our plates with something else or we get busy or we, you know, sign up for more courses or we, you know, we ignore it. And and the minute we ignore boredom, it it phones its friend pain and suffering (laughs) and says, Hey, you know, there's a, there's a party going on over here 
you know, why, why don't you walk over and you know what, do it slowly. Like, let, let's make this real slow and real painful. Like just like arrive real slow. And then, and then we'll just really get this party going. <laughs> I can't, you yeah, I mean, obviously we're not on video right yeah, now. I'm like dragging my hands down my face. Like this is so everything. <laughs> it's like so real. I feel like very seen. I feel very like in a great way. And like, I know that I'm not the only one that's going to like listen to everything you just said and be like, Oh God. <laughs> This is a very, very powerful, powerful place to stand from. And actually, this is, I remember um, when I was writing Unbound, it, 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 doesn't, it, it doesn't really start. Like, I had a good life. You know, it doesn't, I, I, I wasn't, I, I, I didn't come from trauma. I wasn't running away from anything. I didn't have some massive explosion in my life that I needed things to be fixed. Like, I had it good and I was looking for great. And I remember my agent telling me, you know, this might be tough because as a woman, you know, publishers are going to, they're going to say, where's the story? Where's the drama? And, and I remember writing her an email back and I just, I just ranting. Like, I was like, why on earth? Like, so it's okay for a man to say, you know, I was a little bit bored. So I switched it up and I went for this career. I, you know, I was a little bit bored in the marriage. So like I got a younger woman or it's, you know, it's okay for a man to say that they're bored and then move from good to great. But, but for women, the, the expectation is we have to like, let it collapse first. This is ridiculous. And I, I wrote for this, this not to, not at her, but just this kind of like general societal rant, you know, about how absurd it is that that we would that we don't have examples of women who move from from good to great, aka from a little discontent or bored to something bigger or more or different. Mm-hmm. And and I wrote her this rant, and I actually think it's one of the reasons that I that I got the book deal because she forwarded it. I, I didn't know she was going to forward it to anyone, and I, at first I was kind of mad that she did, but now I'm happy um, that that she forwarded it to someone and says, "Look at this! Like this is this is we we so need this, right? Like as women, we need examples of how to pick up the pieces. We we need those desperately, like stories like Cheryl Strayed gave with Wild. There's there's tons of them, right? Like we des we are in desperate need of those stories because we need to know when when shit does hit the fan, you know how to move on from there and recover. We also need to know how to not shatter, not have the pieces shatter. We need we need both of those things. So I'm I'm a big I'm a big big fan of don't let boredom get bored with you. Because the minute it starts to get bored with you because you're ignoring it, it's going to invite sadness and sorrow and pain and suffering and rage to the table. And you, we, we don't always, I mean, I'm not going to say never, but we don't always need those things. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree. I also think sort of the, the, taking the thread back into the earlier conversation, the more embodied and present I am, the more uh, likely it is that I will realize and be able to do something with, let's say, boredom, if we're using that as the example, or with maybe like a something right. that's more subtle as opposed to if I'm like chasing my energy and you know everything else that we've talked about that's when it's like okay I'm gonna have to get like hit over the head with this pain in order to do something differently yes woman yes mm-hmm. yes 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 10,000 yeah. yeses to that yeah, yeah I, I also I'm really glad that about what you said about um you know, moving from good to great. I, I think about that a lot. I feel like I've talked about that a lot in the last like year and a half, particularly in the realm of um, like my former spouse and I uncoupling, getting divorced. And it was very much that like we weren't miserable by any means, right? Nothing was like 
wrong mm-hmm, necessarily. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, a very mutual, hey, this is good, but not great. Can we sort of each support each other in going in search of that? And the sort of conversations that right, I've had privately right. with folks, like since being more open about that had been really interesting and especially talking to other women. And something that I, I hear comes mm-hmm. up a lot is sort of this, I'm sure it's definitely a socialized thing of like, what's wrong with me that I can't just be happy in this good situation? That's right. That's right. That's right. And I've heard that some version of that, whether it's a relationship or, you know, a career thing or an amount of money or, you know, I should be happy with this. This is good enough. Right. And sort of um, what comes after we're willing to like uh, interrogate that a little bit, I think. Yeah, absolutely. That idea of like, you know, that that you're selfish or you should be happy with this or who are you to think you deserve this or whatever, instead of saying like, uh, you know, gratitude for this. And I'd like some more please, or gratitude for this. And I'd like something a little bit different. I mean, we're at a place now societally where not, not everybody is, you know, there's still a lot of really, there's still a lot of traumatic shit that's going down in our world. But we, we also, for the most part, you know, get, given the history of, 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 of societal evolution, there's so many more of us now who are in a place of, you know, higher up on the quote unquote Maslow's hierarchy of needs that, that are able to begin making those choices. And there's such an energy and such a freedom in that. And it helps us to help other people make those choices, helps us to help other people move out of the, out, out of the kind of the Maslow's more, more survival realms and upwards. Right. I think it's really, really important that we do that. I got asked that question so many times, like, like in a, in a pretty awful way, actually, <laughs> like when I was doing the book tour, like, you know, people saying, you know, not in so many words, but like, aren't, you know, isn't that a little bit selfish, you know? And, 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 and I, I, I responded back with a question of like, what would you have rather me done? Just sit like mm-hmm. in my apartment in Vancouver or just continue to going into a job that I found boring or what, 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 what was the alternative there for you? Right. Which yeah, so option that, makes that you more comfortable? Super- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I think that's a um, our strength as women. Are, we can we can receive strength from and anybody really can receive a certain kind of strength that comes from rising from the ashes. But our strength as people and specifically as women does not need to be defined by how things have broken. Yeah, or how much you can endure. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So this idea of, you know, choosing to go for great and, and, you know, even if something is good, can you give maybe a more recent example of when you did that? Well, things, that's a good question. Let me sit into that for a second. Cause I think things have kind of shifted like a definition of good or great. Cause I, I think the version of me then was like, well, this is good, but I want great was a pretty young version of me. And, and now I think I probably, not that there isn't more for me or different things to learn. There certainly are those things, but now I, I don't think I would phrase it in the same way. I, I think I, I, I think I just feel now that it's, it's not me moving from one static place to another static place. It's, there's, a, there's a larger amount of fluidity, I feel like, in my journey. So it's not like, well, how do I move from this good place to this better place? It's like, it's just like, how do I move with the rhythm of my life? Mm-hmm. So I think that's cha- that's a good question. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to um, uh, think about it, process it right now, but I, I don't think I think in that way anymore. I just am asking myself constantly, does this feel good? And then an hour later, does it still feel good? Like, yeah. am I, I, I'm just, I'm more in a rhythm or a flow of my own life rather than moving from, again, as I said, like from, from a static 
this is good, that's bad, move to great. Like it's it's less kind of black and white than that. Yeah, okay. I'm, and there's more fluidity now. I'm fascinated by this answer, especially because um, I know that one of your self-described gifts is your ability to hold yourself and others steady in like either a liminal space or sort of a, a space of transition. And I think it's, yeah, it's interesting yeah. for me to think about that being like a gift of yours or something that you think about a lot. And then also to see like how in your personal life it it has evolved, not like you said, going from like static place yeah. to static place, but like being more in flow and sort of this idea of, you know, being able to hold yourself and particularly other people like in states of transition. I don't even know what my question is necessarily, but I'm just interested in that, like in what that's, yeah. what that's like for you and maybe how you see that relating to the other things we've talked about. Well, I, I think that the fact that aliveness is never, I don't know whether I'd say never, maybe it is static and that something could be alive or something could be dead. But, but if, if we're speaking in the terms of aliveness of a human experience, like it is always in transition. It's, it's never the same. There's always one cell dying or moving here, or one part of our life moving or shifting, you know, there's always transition. So I, I like to think of, uh, of really being in the flow of that rather than trying to figure it out and hopscotch our way through it, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that, that's, I think that's been a really, really big shift for me. Um, and, and just the idea of the unknown, this goes back a little bit to this idea of like, can we sit in a place where we don't have answers and, and can we, one, can we do that? Or do we get antsy? Do we need the answer? What will the, what will the answer give us if we had the answer, you know, uh, so a feeling of control maybe, I don't know. Um, but, but I think, can we sit in a place without an answer? And then also could we sit in a place without an answer and actually begin to enjoy it? I, I that's a, that's a beautiful, a beautiful question for me. And I've come to really like the unknown and, and even, even the concept of like, a lot of people talk about shadow work, like the concept of, um, I don't necessarily talk about like moving into your darkness or your light or this type of thing, but the idea of like, uh, what's under the surface of things? Mm -hmm. Like how, how, how deep could, how how deep could we dig down here? Like what exists down there? Uh, again, not bad or good or positive or negative or dark or light or shadow or anything like that, but just, um, that, that idea of, you know, what, what we see isn't always the whole picture, like that quite, I mean, maybe that's why I love writing memoir, right? Cause you kind of have you get like, well, what is the whole picture? Think you, you think, you know, but do you, do we ever, I don't know. I, I just, I, I, lo- I really love that space. And I think, I think because of the nature of our life being a one, one long and, and kind of ever spinning kind of a transition, um, I think it's, it's, it's a good idea for us to become comfortable in there. Yeah, the image that a uh, little like vision or whatever that came into my mind when you were talking was of like life as a train where it's like, okay, like this is the station, right? Like this is the static place. Like, and then you're on the train and you're in transition and then, right. okay, you're at the next right. station. And like, there's something really comforting to some part of my mind about that. Like, okay, now I'm at the station. And then I like understand what the station is. I understand, you know, what the transition in between is. And like, there's uh-huh. something in that, whether it's like the illusion of control or the illusion of certainty, like I like that. Sure, and sure. it's, it's uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, to your point, like under the surface, like 
is there ever control? Is there ever certainty, right? And of course, those are, are big questions, but I really like the idea or sort of the question that you posed of like, can you even enjoy the fact that that's true? Like, can you start to get to the place where it's not just like yeah. sort of gritting your teeth and like holding on for dear life during transitions, even though that's like sometimes what has to happen, but like, can there uh-huh. be enjoyment yeah. of that? Uh-huh. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then that's a really good distinction, right? Cause sometimes, sometimes transitions like, like, I, you know, transitions that are really, really big that, that involve a lot of grief. Right. And sometimes you're not comfort being like, wow, look at this transition. You know, those are really hard and you've got to do the reflecting maybe afterwards. But, um, but for the most part, yeah. How do you, how do you sit on the train and not necessarily think about where you were or where you're going, but just enjoy the ride and, and be in that unknown. And I think those are really blissful kind of places where a lot can appear for us and, and have become kind of more and more comfortable there. Mm-hmm. I actually think that that's a really lovely place to start to wrap up unless there is anything that hasn't come up so far that you really wanted to mention. You know, I could just talk and talk, but uh, <laughs> no, I mean, gosh, we've covered, we've, we've covered, we've covered some, uh, some pretty epic territory today, I think. Yes. Agreed. Okay. Um, well, the way that we end these episodes are with a series of a rapid fire ish questions, um, essentially. Ooh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. My, my Patreon <laughs> community, um, the wonderful folks who support and fund the show, uh, choose mm, some right. questions, um, every, I don't know, couple months or so where the, like the same guests answer you know, like where each guest answers the same like eight-ish questions um, for a while. So if you're down love to answer it. eight totally random questions. I'm down. I'm down. I love this. Okay. 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 Thank you, Patreon question askers. <laughs> yeah. What are a few of the qualities that you most look for in your friendships? Ooh, uh, uh, laughter. Holy, holy, holy laughter. Someone's got to be able to laugh. Um, I look for... Um, that's just, that's such a huge one. Uh, I look for, um, curiosity. I look for, uh, like truth telling. I want someone to be able to call me probably on my, on my BS. Um, and I look for, uh, someone who knows themselves, the knowledge of self at Mm -hmm. the same time as being kind of what I'd call like low maintenance. Like we'll just go with the flow. Those would yeah. be pr- pretty big ones for me. Yeah. What's something that you used to believe that you no longer do, whether about yourself or about kind of your larger worldview? Uh, I used to believe I was an extrovert. And uh, now I, I I don't know that I even believe in extrovert version <laughs> or introversion. Yeah. No labels for you, right? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, in, I think, I think in a little bit of different terms now, but yeah, I used to, I used to definitely describe myself as an extrovert. And now I don't know if I believe in that kind of way of describing people at all. Yeah. What's one thing that you'll always happily splurge on if you're able to? <laughs> uh, oh, that's a good question. Um, cause I, I don't, I'm not a big splurger, but one thing I have is travel. I'd probably say travel. I've just, I've just, uh, just this, this morning I booked a three week trip to go somewhere and write and it's a splurge, but it's yeah. Travel. Okay. Well that leads perfectly into the next question. What is your current dream trip? Oh gosh. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a big current dream trip and it's interesting. This is, this is the perfect example of like not answering the question. So I felt very, very called to do a trip to Ireland for the past couple of years. And I've also felt like the timing is coming and so I'm letting it come to me. Like I could start Googling it. I could start looking things up. I could start planning a trip. I could start thinking about who I'm going to go with, but I'm not, I'm like, okay, I'm feeling called to go to there. Like 
make it so like bring me the information. So that's, that's Ireland's on my dream list right now. If you had a magic wand that could instantly solve one problem in the world, what would you use it on? Oh gosh, that's a big question. Mm -hmm. If I had a magic wand that could instantly solve one problem in the world, If I had a magic wand that could instantly solve one problem in the world, there's a part of me that, that wants to say that it would wave, I would wave the wand and it would make the belief that there's a problem, that there are problems in the world disappear. That's a pretty out there answer though. That, that, that I'd wave a wand and I would have it be that Sour Patch Kids were nutritional for you and <laughs> that they didn't turn your mouth into like a raw field of uh, horror after you eat a bag of them. Okay, so then the next question, what's your favorite snack? Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, because I'll say Annie's mac and cheese. Ooh, okay. It's my favorite snack. I have eaten a yeah. lot of that on backpacking trips, so much that I think maybe I don't like it anymore, but <laughs> it is good. It is good. It's good uh, stuff. Next question about books. Which two or three books, any type of book, any genre, would you say have either had the biggest impact on you or that you find yourself mm. recommending or rereading most often? Oh gosh, this is a big one. Okay. So, uh, the book I recommend, uh, the most is the dance of the dissident daughter by Sue Monk kid. I think that's an extraordinary book. And I think every person, especially women should read that book. Um, I think a book that I'm consistently enamored with is, uh, when women were birds, Terry Tempest Williams. I think it's a masterpiece. I don't think you can really get better than that. I love it. And I love her. I could love all of her books. And a third book, um, gosh, there's so many. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say my book. I'm going to say my next book, 2021. That's the book. I don't know what it's called yet. It's coming though, guys. It's happening. I'm excited. Um, one of my selfish favorite things after kind of these questions is then I go on my little library website and I'm like, okay, do they have the books that they recommended? Like, can I put these books on hold? Yeah. So I'm very excited. Well, in 2021, I will pre-order your book. You let us know when. Yeah. Last question. Um, if you could leave our community, the listeners, with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take? I, I, I'm going to leave two. I'm going to break the rules and leave two. Uh, one we've already talked about is do some kind of daily practice that helps you get embodied. And if you are scared to get embodied or just that's traumatic, find some help to do that. Cause I think it's a really, really powerful thing. And I'm going to leave it at that. I think given what, everything that we've talked about, I think that's a good one. Yeah, it's, it's perfect. What's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? Do you have a favorite way to connect particularly with new folks? I freaking love connecting with new folks. Um, I love it. So please, uh, please, please, please. This is how I've met some of my best friends and business partners and people that I jam with consistently is just random people that have heard stuff and emailed and we've struck up conversations. So uh, you can email me, Steph at StephJagger.com. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Steph Jagger. You could read the books. You could look online. Uh, everything, everything basically is Steph Jagger, StephJagger.com. And, uh, there's lots going on in the community and the different programs we run and books and all that jazz, but, uh, I'm here and I, and I love getting emails or DMS from people and, and interacting that way. It means a lot to me. Well, I will put links to all of that in the show notes so that folks know where to find you. Steph, thank you so much. 
Well, thank you. This is this has been so nice, and your questions are so big and juicy and meaty, and I've just really relished in this conversation. This this alone is magic. So thank you. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. Speaking of the Real Talk Radio family, I want to give a huge shout out to Adam Day, my producer and sound engineer. Adam created the music for this show, and he just makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could without him. You can find him and his music and his sound editing work at adamday.net. And as I said way back at the very top of the episode, this is a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Abigail. Hi, Abigail. Hi, Nicole. So we're going to do a fun little round of rapid-fire questions if you are ready to tell me some good, juicy things about yourself. I sure am. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What's one thing that you're feeling proud of from this year so far? Hmm. You know, I've got a lot of things I feel like to be proud of. I have this tendency to be kind of short-sighted in my accomplishments where I like forget the things that I did not that long ago. So it's nice that you ask um, for the whole year. I actually graduated from undergrad this year. Um, so I have my degree, my BFA in printmaking. Um, and so I think just like all of the things that came along with that, um, I got to speak at my my art school's commencement. I think that maybe that tops the list. (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you. What's one thing that you think people would be surprised to learn about you? Mm, That is a good question. I tend to be kind of an open book. Um, But then again, I think I'm an open book and a lot of people don't realize how much I've got going on. Um, you know, I don't know. Do you have any anything in particular <laughs> you no, can direct me to? Also, you can totally pass. That's that's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe I'll pass. And if I think of something before the end of the conversation, I'll come back to it. That sounds good. <laughs> What's something that's bringing you a lot of joy lately? A lot of joy. Um, well, first off, the cooler weather. Living in the southeast, it's been a really long, hot summer. Um, and I have been doing a lot of running in the mountains. Um, I live in Georgia, and it's not too far to get up to the North Georgia mountains. And it's just absolutely fantastic to get out and spend as many hours on the trails as I can. Mm, I can relate to that. Not as much with the trail running, but hiking for sure. Mm-hmm. What's one thing that you've read or watched or listened to lately that you really enjoyed and maybe want to recommend? I think that listeners of your show um, would really love another podcast. There's probably not a ton of, I don't know if there's a ton of overlap um, in the audience. It's a podcast by a comedian called Chris Gethard, um, and it's called Beautiful Anonymous or Beautiful Stories from Anonymous People. And he puts out a telephone line every week or so, and people, like tons of people try to call in and he talks to one person anonymously for an hour and the conversations are so real and raw and funny and sad and everything in between. Uh, and I really, really enjoy his podcast. Interesting. I have never heard of that, but the subject sounds exactly like something I would enjoy. So personally and selfishly, I appreciate that recommendation. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. He's a stand-up comedian by background, but he jokes that his, uh, his success his widespread success has only come from doing this sometimes serious podcast. So, no, I love it. it. I mean, I, I love the idea, obviously, of anyone just getting to like say what's true for them. Yeah, yeah. And, and then he's really good at asking questions that 
can dig in and get people to open up in a way that doesn't feel like uncomfortable, but um, brings out what it is that people really maybe need to be talking about. Yeah, I love it. I'll check it out. Um, Last question. What's one thing that you wish people were more open and honest about? There are so many things. (laughs) Um, Something I think a lot about that a lot, sometimes I bring up and I think people maybe don't totally understand um, and I wish that we could have more conversations around it is the importance of silence and solitude. And I think that those two things can be, you can, maybe there's other words that could replace it too, but really just having time without distractions to reflect and to just be. And we're so, I mean, I'm guilty of it too. Like I love putting on a podcast or something like that when I'm working, but trying to just spend more time just sort of being and not being so um, always active and always trying to achieve something. Yeah. I think I was thinking about that this morning. I'm like doing some short runs a couple times a week and first I misplaced my headphones and I was bummed about that. And then I have been going out for, you know, like 20 or 30 minutes or something and not listening to anything. And surprise, surprise, it's been really wonderful. And it's like, I almost need to force myself to do it. My default is not to have a lot of silent time, but I always really appreciate it when I do. And also it's one of those things that I can tend to think like, oh my God, if, you know, in order for it to count or be beneficial, I need six hours of that much time. And I really don't, like, I can feel the difference from a short block of time. Definitely. Yeah. I, I know a lot of people like to listen to stuff on their runs. I always run, I mean, if I'm with someone else, then I'm talking to them probably, but most of my runs and and bike rides have been solo lately. And I intentionally don't take any content with me. And it's really, it's an important time for us to like, get back in touch with being human, which is often a lot of like boring time. (laughs) No, but I mean, we need that. I feel like, like all good ideas come from being bored. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you're a member of our wonderful Patreon support squad, which means that you're one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible since you have made a small and powerful reoccurring per episode pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show and paying the guests. Can you share why you decided to support the show? Yeah. You know, I listen to a couple of podcasts or sometimes a lot of podcasts and yours is one of the only ones that doesn't do ads and gives me the opportunity to support. And I, I think it came like your call, your request for support came at a time where, um, I wanted to be able to do that. I, it's the only one that I support financially. And I just think that it's really powerful to be able to, um, be, yeah, be a support for something in a way that's not like me going out and being a consumer of something else. Like we are just Mm -hmm. in this community sharing a thing and uh, that maybe can't be the mainstream model because we still live in a capitalist society. But if for people like you who are doing it, like I want that to be more, I want it to grow more. So yeah, thank I mean, you for doing it. <laughs> yeah, and, and thank you for, you know, buying into the model. I It's always really wonderful to talk to people in the community who obviously, like, we have the same values, right? Like, in terms mm-hmm. of just the, the funding aspect of this kind of stuff. And it's really, it was interesting for me because I experimented, you know, way back at the beginning with two different um like sponsors ads, right? Like in early seasons. And before I decided like, nope, this model isn't for me, you know, for many different reasons. And in doing this, it was interesting from the creator perspective to switch into feeling 
like more protective of and attached to the community, right? Like that I feel very much like, oh, here's the 400 plus people. Like I am making this show for them. And sure, obviously there's more people that listen than that. And that's wonderful too. But it's, it's like, I feel like it's changed my relationship to like all of us doing this thing together, which feels really nice. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Do you want to share um, more specifically where you live and maybe a social media link if folks want to say hi? Yeah, I live in the wonderful town of Athens, Georgia, um, and you can find me on Instagram. I'm at Up in the Woods, um, like the Bon Iver song, if you don't catch the reference. Georgia, that is a place that I have never spent time. It's really wonderful. I love living in the South. Uh, it's, you know, a lot of people, I think, from here maybe try to get away from it and are, are, are called West for one reason or another or, or North or whatever, um, but I like there's a lot of things that a lot of work that needs to be done here still. And I find myself in a community of people that are really keen on doing that work. And I think that, that we have to stay where, where we love and where we're called to. And that's something yeah. a lot of people don't love the place they live enough. And I find that pretty sad. Yeah. I would love, I mean, I have a very long list of places that I would love to come and like do events and other things, but uh, it's funny that Georgia like keeps popping into my mind. So maybe I will bump that up the list. Yeah. And if you, I mean, coming to Atlanta, it's a huge hub. I'm not in Atlanta, but I'm only about an hour away. So it's, it's mm-hmm. accessible, I think for a lot of people that live in, in other neighboring cities. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you for joining me and to everyone listening. If you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want lots of bonus content, plus other fun opportunities and extras, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $1 or more per episode. Your support is what allows the show to continue. And I can't wait to get to know you better once you've joined our community. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together.